Welcome to Misty 101 podcast. We hope that you enjoy this episode of our podcast. Man died after eating pizza ordered through delivery. The parents of a man who died after eating pizza ordered through delivery say they want the full truth about what happened to their son. James Atkinson died in July 2020 after ordering a takeaway pizza from the Daydill restaurant in Newcastle via the delivery app his parents say. The 23-year-old from Leeds, who had a known peanut allergy, is believed to have eaten one slice. His family have been told he may have suffered a severe allergic reaction. A pre-inquest review into his death is due to open on Tuesday at Newcastle Coroner's Court. Mr Atkinson's parents, Stuart and Jill, said their son was conscientious about checking ingredients as they called for the full truth about the circumstances leading to his death. They have called for clearer displays of allergens to prevent a similar incident from happening to someone else. Mr Atkinson told the Sunday Times, we'd like to see a simple system where it comes up with a tick box before you make the order, do you have an allergy, yes or no? If you tick yes then it instructs you to contact the restaurant by telephone. Allergy information is always hidden away. It needs to be up front. Mrs Atkinson added, what everybody needs is a clear, full list of ingredients on every item on a takeaway menu and a sticker on the takeaway box saying the allergens it contains. We'll never know if that would have saved James, but it might have done. We just don't want this to happen to another family. The restaurant was suspended from delivery after his death but remained on other food platforms. Environmental health officials and police confirmed it could trade again later that month. The restaurant's owner reportedly said in 2020 that the order was placed online through delivery and the website contained very clear information regarding allergens and food hygiene. At the time, the restaurant notes section for Daydill had a cross-contamination notice for peanuts, Deliveroo said. Mr Atkinson moved to study computer science at Newcastle University, and after graduating he remained in the city where he lived with friends. His family described him as a bright and bubbly character who lived life to the full, with a passion for sport which included completing a triathlon. Deliveroo said, this is a tragedy and our thoughts are with the family and friends of the young man who so sadly passed away. Deliveroo has been in contact with the police, who confirmed that the company has acted properly at all times, and continues to comply fully with this investigation. The company will cooperate in full with the coroner's inquest and will share all information requested by the coroner. We are committed to doing all we possibly can to assist this investigation and our hearts go out to all those involved. Dennis Waterman, star of Minder, has died. A statement from his agent said, We are deeply saddened to announce that our beloved Dennis, passed away very peacefully at his home in Spain. The family kindly ask that our privacy is respected at this very difficult time they said, adding he died on Sunday afternoon with wife Pam by his side. He starred as Terry McCann in Minder from the late 70s, running around the criminal underworld of West London for seven series.
Not only did he star in the show, he also performed the theme tune I Could Be So Good For You, which became a hit in the UK and Australia. He also appeared in shows such as The Sweeney as George Carter in the 70s, and later as Jerry Standing in New Tricks. Waterman wrapped his final project in 2020, filming Never Too Late in Australia, a drama comedy. The actor was also the target of a caricature on the BBC series Little Britain, where David Wallums would play his as a comically small man, who would write the theme tune and sing the theme tune for his new job offers, just as he had done with Minder and other shows. Matt Lucas, one half of Little Britain, was among the first to leave tributes to Waterman, tweeting, I grew up watching Dennis Waterman's iconic performances in The Sweeney and Minder. His guest appearance in our Little Britain live show at Hammersmith Apollo, in which he hilariously duetted with David's absurd impersonation of him, remains the absolute highlight of my career. League of Gentlemen actor Reese Shearsmith said, Rip Dennis Waterman. When I worked with him on new tricks he made me the best cups of tea. And of course I just spent the time grilling him about scars of Dracula. Waterman was born in London in 1948 and began his acting career on the stage, getting his start at the Royal Shakespeare Company in Stratford at the age of 12. He later spent a year on the West End in The Music Man, before heading to Tinseltown to appear in Fair Exchange. But it was the Sweeney which made Waterman a household name, co-starring with John Thor for nearly four years, later going on to make two films based on the show. He spent much of his career in front of the camera or treading the boards, starring in dozens of plays, shows and movies, mostly in the UK and Australia. Waterman was married and divorced several times, to Penny Dixon, Patricia Minard and Rula Lenska. He is survived by his wife Pam Flint, and his two children. Morrison's returns with Fresh McCall's offer as Endgame looms. Morrison's has tabled a last gasp bid to wrest McCall's retail group from the clutches of its Asda-owning rivals just hours before administrators are formally appointed to oversee its sale. Morrison's has lodged an improved offer with McCall's lenders that would see them repaid immediately in full satisfying their principal demand. It was unclear on what basis the latest proposal could be rejected, or whether EG Group, which appeared on Friday to have sewn up a swoop on one of Britain's biggest convenience chains, would seek to prevent it going through with a further proposal of its own. There were suggestions on Sunday afternoon that PricewaterhouseCoopers, PwC, the advisor to McCall's lenders, was preparing to stage a final two-way shootout between the rival suitors later this evening, with both asked to table best and final bids. The demise of McCall's has rapidly turned into a political controversy encompassing its pension scheme and the fate of its 16,000 workers. McCall's lenders rejected a solvent rescue offer from Morrison's on Friday that would have involved them rolling over more than £100 million of debt into the supermarket chain, but being repaid in full as the loans expired. Lenders were demanding immediate repayment, leading them to opt for a rival bid from EG Group, the petrol retailing behemoth, 
that involved instant repayment of the bulk of their debts but was conditional on McCall's being placed into administration. This weekend, the trustees of McCall's pension schemes waded into the row, with a spokesperson saying, any company looking to acquire McCall's must do the decent thing and ensure that promises made to staff about their pensions are honoured. We would be extremely surprised if any organisation with an interest in demonstrating good corporate citizenship were to use a pre-pack administration to cease supporting the schemes, with absolutely no engagement with the trustees. In a stock exchange announcement on Friday afternoon, McCall said its board had regrettably been left with no choice other than to place the company in administration appointing Price Waterhouse Coopers LLP as administrators, in the expectation that they intend to implement a sale of the business to a third-party purchaser as soon as possible. However, although technically McCall's may have been insolvent at the point that its lenders declined to extend their waiver, PwC's appointment had yet to be rubber-stamped by the court by the time it closed on Friday potentially leaving a window for a further counterbid from Morrison's. A source close to the lenders said a further proposal would be properly considered. Details of Morrison's revised offer were unclear, although the supermarket group said late last week that there was no basis for McCall's being placed into insolvency proceedings. Morrison's had pledged to keep the vast majority of jobs and stores safe as well as fully protecting pensioners and lenders. Attention will now turn to the decision made by the lenders, which include the taxpayer-backed NatWest Group, with Barclays and HSBC also said to be part of the borrowing facility. Morrison's, which has an extensive wholesale agreement to supply McCall's, and the company's pension schemes are among the convenience retailers' major creditors although they rank behind the claims of the senior lending syndicate. Questions are also likely to be raised about PwC's prospective dual role as advisor to McCall's lenders and as administrator if the crisis leads to an inferior outcome in terms of job retention and pension payments. It was unclear how many of McCall's 16,000 strong workforce would keep their jobs under the rival proposals from Morrison's and EG Group, although sources close to the situation believe that some stores would ultimately be closed under either scenario. McCall's is an important partner of Morrison's, operating hundreds of smaller shops under the Morrison's daily brand. Sky News reported in February that McCall's was scrambling to secure new funding that would allay concerns about its future. The company, which is listed on the London Stock Exchange but had its shares suspended on Friday, employs roughly 6,000 people on a full-time equivalent basis. It raised £30 million from shareholders in a cash call just eight months ago. If administration is confirmed on Monday, it would be the largest insolvency in the UK retail sector by size of workforce since the collapse of Edinburgh Woolen Mill Group in 2020. Since then, both Debenhams, which employed about 12,000 people, and Sir Philip Green's Arcadia Group, which had a workforce numbering roughly 13,000, have also gone bust becoming casualties of changing retail shopping habits and the pandemic.
Morrison's and McCall's declined to comment. Nuclear warfare as Putin's space chief boasts Russia could wipe out NATO in 30 minutes. Dmitry Rogozin, Director General of Russia's state space corporation Roscosmos and former Deputy Prime Minister for Defense, has issued a grim warning about Moscow's nuclear strength. He claimed on Sunday it would take only half an hour for Russia to destroy NATO countries, but insisted it should not be allowed to happen. Mr. Rogozin said on his Telegram channel, in a nuclear war, NATO countries will be destroyed by us in half an hour. But we must not allow it, since the consequences of an exchange of nuclear strikes will affect the state of our Earth. NATO is waging war against us. It has not declared it, but it doesn't change anything. Now it's obvious to everyone. The Ukrainian National Battalions and the Armed Forces of Ukraine are consumables, cannon fodder for NATO, they are just operators trained by NATO instructors who press the levers and buttons of NATO weapons. Egypt says several troops killed defending water pumping station east of Suez Canal. At least 11 Egyptian troops, including an officer were killed Saturday in a militant attack that targeted a water-pumping station east of the Suez Canal, the military said. In a statement, it said at least five other troops were wounded in the attack, one of the deadliest against Egyptian security forces in recent years. Troops were pursuing militants in an isolated area of the northern Sinai Peninsula, the statement added. It gave no further details or the attack's precise location. Two northern Sinai residents said the attack took place in the town of Kantara in the province of Ismailia, which stretches eastwards from the Suez Canal. The militants ambushed troops guarding the pumping facility, before fleeing to the desert in northern Sinai, according to the residents who spoke on condition of anonymity for their safety. No group claimed responsibility for Saturday's attack. Last week, suspected militants blew up a natural gas pipeline in northern Sinai's town of Bir al-Abd, causing a fire but no casualties. Egypt is battling an Islamic State-led insurgency in the Sinai that intensified after the military overthrew an elected but divisive Islamist president in 2013. The militants have carried out scores of attacks, mainly targeting security forces and Christians. The military has claimed that insurgents have suffered heavy losses in recent months as security forces, aided by armed tribesmen, intensified their efforts to eliminate them. The pace of militant attacks in Sinai's main theater of operations and elsewhere has slowed to a trickle since February 2018 when the military launched a massive operation in Sinai as well as parts of the Nile Delta and deserts along the country's western border with Libya. The fight against militants in Sinai has largely taken place hidden from the public eye, with journalists, non-residents and outside observers barred from the area. The conflict has also been kept at a distance from tourist resorts at the southern end of the peninsula. I was so weak I could barely wash my hair but three different doctors failed to realize I was seriously ill. 
a man whose concerns were dismissed by doctors three times before he was diagnosed with a disease has opened up about his ordeal. Writer Aaron Kilkenny Fletcher, 35, of New Cross, has had a volatile few years after he contracted Lyme disease in 2019 while on a work trip to Brazil. Lyme disease infects the body and evades the immune system to attack organs and the nervous system. He contracted it in June that year after he was bitten in his sleep by a tick. He initially assumed it was a spider bite and thought nothing of it for a couple of months. Aaron's problems didn't begin until the end of July, while on a train to London from Brighton following his stag do when he started having these really weird symptoms which included his fingers and eyelids randomly twitching. His condition then worsened over the next few days, so he called NHS direct. I had really bad heart palpitations and night sweats and I couldn't sleep, and lots of muscle twitching and weakness. But Aaron thought this was the result of a heavy weekend with his friends. But the symptoms refused to go away. I was ill throughout August, 2019 with similar symptoms such as severe muscle weakness and walking up a flight of stairs was very difficult, my legs would just give way he said. I'd be doing the washing up and one of my knees would give way from under me. Even a simple thing like washing my hair, my arms would be so exhausted doing it, it would be like I had played five sets of tennis. The nights became unbearable too. He had what he describes as a dead feeling in his limbs and his muscles constantly twitched involuntarily. Aaron said, I would look down at my thigh and it would just be flickering all the time. After a fortnight of suffering, Aaron, while at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, sought a doctor's advice, and was dismissed as having some sort of mineral deficiency and he was given a blood test. But a week later the tests came back showing the 35-year-old had normal mineral levels. After his results came back, Aaron did something he knew doctors would hate, he googled his symptoms. The hits came back right away as Lyme disease. It was at that moment the penny dropped. I was bitten by a mysterious insect in June on an island covered in stray dogs and cats and monkeys and all sorts, and doctors think the mouth part of the tick is still in my elbow said Aaron. His symptoms improved for a short while in September, 2019 but he then became very ill again in November, literally over the period of a day. The writer was meant to begin jury duty but woke up with headache, night sweats, slowness of thought, disorientation, dizziness, fatigue, muscle weakness, and the muscle twitching. But this time on top of that, the worst symptom really was the neurological symptoms. He was also getting blurred vision this time which led him to having to read sentences five or six times before he understood them due to the amount of energy required to see the words. He said, I remember people would be talking to me and I would be pausing a couple of seconds after they had finished talking before I could work out how to reply. Even at one point, I was crossing the road not at a traffic light and my brain couldn't do the mathematics of that car is coming this way from this distance.
It was after this that Aaron realized something was seriously wrong and went to his GP who suspected he had multiple sclerosis, MS, and referred him to a neurologist. It wasn't the prospect of having MS that rattled Aaron, it was the waiting time. His GP referred him to the neurologist in November, but he was told he wouldn't be seen until July, over half a year later. He said, at this point I was really scared. I didn't think I had MS as I looked it up and my symptoms didn't match but I said to her that I cannot work, I cannot look at my computer screen for an hour, I have to go to bed for 5 hours after working my brain in that way. I said to her that my symptoms seem to match up 100% with Lyme disease and I was bitten in June by a mystery insect. She said she didn't think it's Lyme, and she then referred me to the hospital for tropical diseases. There, Aaron claims that he told the doctor he thought he had Lyme disease, and the doctor didn't think he had it, but could have a test if he wanted one. He was tested but the result was negative so the doctor said perhaps Aaron had a mineral deficiency, which Aaron reminded him he'd already been tested for. After more research, Aaron learned that if one is given antibiotics within two to three months of being bitten then they would get rid of it. But if you don't catch it early and it becomes endemic in the system, it can become chronic Lyme and becomes a lot more difficult to treat. Things took a turn for the better however after he found a specialized Lyme disease clinic in Harley Street. After attending a conference on the condition in November, 2019, five months after being bitten, he spoke to the doctor running the clinic and said he'd been given three weeks of antibiotics by his GP. Aaron asked if that would cure him and the doctor replied it's probably too late for that and that I needed to go into his clinic or another specialist clinic and you need to get a proper blood test done and that it would cost between £1,300 to £2,000 depending on the severity of his condition. Like most people, he doesn't have thousands of pounds lying around, so fortunately for Aaron, his boss kindly stepped in and said you just need to put it on the company card, we'll talk about how you pay it back later. Finally in December, 2019 Aaron got his specialist appointment he definitely had Lyme disease. The doctor did more tests to identify the strain of the disease and ensure it wasn't another similar bacterial infection. The results confirmed Aaron's fears. He was prescribed a number of powerful drugs to take each day. Despite this, he was hugely relieved to have been diagnosed. He said, when I got the diagnosis it was actually a massive relief, when the doctor said to me that I had Lyme disease, I felt like I had breathed for the first time in months. Even though they told me a lot of people only get 75% better and stay 25% ill for the rest of their lives, I was still relieved. Socializing has been unpleasant for Aaron because he would be so slow in a conversation. People would talk to me and it would take a number of seconds for me to compute what they were saying, and then another key one was that I would lose the ability to pick the right word at the right time. Aaron has also not been back on the tennis court since his condition.
Unfortunately Aaron's Lyme disease isn't going away and he has been taken off antibiotics as they've done all they can do, plus too many of them can damage the body. No doctor is telling me they can make me better he said. Although, he's considerably better than he was. I can certainly work enough to earn a living, but I still have points where all of a sudden I have a relapse he said. He also has great advice for those living with the condition, especially more severe cases. His advice is to find the money to go to a private specialist, even though there are very few in the country. A GoFundMe page has been set up to help Aaron pay for the rest of his treatment, as it's not available on the NHS. We hope that you have enjoyed our podcast. We thank you for your support. We hope to see you again next time.